Hi everyone, this is the Hearsay Podcast. My name is Saya. Thank you so much for listening. This is episode number 55. Isn't that nuts? 55. Um, And what a lovely time I've had. That's not to say that this is all past tense. I'm obviously going to keep doing this as long as you will have me and as long as people want to tell me their stories. Um, And this again is a bit of a distraction podcast from COVID and other craziness. So hopefully, you know, it's, it's a little bit of a nice hour um, where people can think about something else. Um, And I really hope that you guys are all doing okay. My guest today is the incredible Tex Perkins. Tex, of course, doesn't really need an introduction around these parts, but something I do want to let you know about is that Tex has an online show that you should all go check out. It's called The Show. And it's a series of filmed musical performances at his property. Um, he gets some really amazing guests on. You can get your tickets if you search for Tex Perkins on Oztix. Uh, so if you're listening close to the time that this podcast is released, which is August 2020, there is one on August 30. Um, so we talk a little bit about the show in this chat, um, but those are the details. So please go check it out and go buy some tickets. Um I got to chat to Tex in early July and for some background, we were eating some lollies while we started chatting. So um, our lovely friend Stacy had given us some lollies and we start the interview with Tex finding half a snake in his lolly bag. So there's a little bit of context just in case you're wondering what he's talking about. Um, Tex's strange show story was illustrated by Tony from Six Foot Hick and Gentle Ben and His Shimmering Hands. Um, and he's done countless shows with Tex and Spencer. So this is the perfect pairing. And of course, he's a genius, amazing bass player guitarist. Um, and you can follow him on Instagram at Tony Guitar Nerd. Um, some pretty cool guitars that you can check out on there as well. As always, this episode contains some swearing and some smutty chat. So be careful if listening with kids. Also, you can rate and subscribe to the podcast on iTunes if you want to, or if that's weird for you to do, write me a message on Instagram or Facebook if you want to leave some feedback. I always really love hearing from you and I really appreciate all your messages. Um, So you can find me on Facebook if you search Hearsay or on Instagram at Hearsay Podcast. Remember, it's spelt weird. It's like my name, Saya, S-E-J-A, not like the song Say, Say, Say by Paul McCartney and Michael Jackson. Um, I don't even know if you're allowed to mention Michael Jackson anymore without getting cancelled. Who knows? Hopefully I'm not going to get cancelled. Look, I hope you enjoy this podcast. Thank you again for listening. This is episode number 55 with Tex Perkins. but there's half a snake in this bag and that I didn't eat the other half. That's slightly concerning. Are you going to eat it? Well, yeah, of course I'm going to hesitate. I'm going to hesitate before I do, but but uh, you're going to contemplate I'm, I'm, and then eat it. I'm going to ponder it for a while and but then it will be eaten. After I've eaten the other 
What did... Oh, is this... No. Oh, that looks like it's been perfectly cut with a wire. No, but it's two heads. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what's going on at the snake factory, but... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> do you want, well, that ain't right. If you want to talk about lollies for an hour, we can totally do that. But I would love to talk to you about music. <laughs> thank you so much for making the time to do this. Oh, I really you. appreciate it. Thank you. It's, uh, I'm sure it'll be a pleasure. Well, I mean, don't put the cart before the horse, but um, I hopefully it'll be nice. I was just saying before, I've met you a couple of times very briefly. You made me a very nice gin and tonic once. Really? Yep. In, in a uh, in a band room? In a hotel room, actually. Wow. Um, <laughs> okay, slow down, everybody. It's not, it's not like how it sounds. <laughs> no, that was the... Um, I guess it was some kind of after party for the Kev Comedy Show that you did, which right. you were amazing at, I Oh, thank add. you. It was, a, it was a real pleasure to be involved in, in that. Uh, yeah. So it was a big uh, show at River Stage, the one that I went to, mm. um, and with a bunch of amazing guest stars singing, you know, Kev Comedy songs with Paul a lot of them were with Paul Kelly it was mm. really really special night it was wasn't it and really special gin and tonic <laughs> <laughs> strong I imagine is it, that's the only way to make uh, make it make a gin and tonic special yeah <laughs> before I yes be, and I, and you just you did allow me to go anywhere of course I I do know an even more special way to make a gin and tonic oh really cracked pepper what yeah cracked pepper yeah, and cucumber. Okay, I mean, just, cucumber. You just put I've a few had. slices of thin slices of cucumber and cracked pepper in on top of oh, a gin and tonic. Believe that sounds me, lovely. Believe me, it works. I'm gonna try it. Yeah, somebody showed me that recently, and uh, it it works. Okay. No salt, just pepper. Okay, and, the... <laughs> and just a couple of turns of the pepper yeah. mill. Just <laughs> yeah, you know, you don't want to. Yeah, you don't want to turn. You don't want to turn turn yeah. it black, but uh, but a few. <laughs> Few splatterings of just that peppery uh, oh. aspect. All right, I'm going to make one of those and text you. Sorry, um, I'm, I'm sorry to pull you up there. No, that, that's perfect. <laughs> it was my last chance to get that in. <laughs> um, I so I've read your book recently, and I really love how you say in the book that it took you a long time to realise that music was your career. Hmm. Um, do you feel now that it's you know, th- this is it. This is the only thing that you're going to do. And Absolutely. Do you, and do you feel like um, pressure? You know, something that you that you put pressure on yourself to earn money and um, continue. Well, yeah. Look, um, I'm father. I've I've raised five children. I'm still raising yeah three of them. <laughs> uh, I've supported a, a family for the since 1990. Yeah. Uh, um, purely on music and the various tentacles that can lead you into you know in the arts that are connected like um yeah i have no other skills um and that's kind of what's kept me in the game yeah because probably there's been yeah many times where if i had another option I probably would have <laughs> fallen back on it sure. if I had a trade or you know or some kind of other skill I probably would have in, in the tough times in the in the dry spells you know like a lot of musicians you know they they fall back onto you know other things yeah of course but it's still something that I absolutely love I'm obsessive like I 
it's unusual for for there not to be music playing around me, whether it's coming out of a, you know, a phone through a Bluetooth speaker or somebody actually creating music or putting a vinyl record on. I, I'm still excited by listening to music and, yeah. and, and hearing music that I haven't heard before. And um, What's the last song that you heard that, you, that went deep? Well, um, I've just been discovering a lot of stuff, but the very last thing was connected with... Um, the last guest I had on on our on on the show, Lucy Thorne. Great. Um, she's been the, the, the guest on episode four, and I've really been um, loving exploring her recorded catalogue. And um, I guess um, with with the various artists that I brought on the show, it's it's about finding music that um, that connects us, and yeah. um, and finding music that of theirs that I can contribute to without kind of sort of ruining or sort of turning into something else. <laughs> yeah. And uh, we usually do some covers that you know, we both uh, can uh, connect with. But, uh, but yeah, it's Lucy Thorne's uh, oh, that's it's probably the last thing that I really enjoyed. But, uh, but it's, it's ongoing. I mean, I mean, God, you know, I happily, um, happily pay my Apple Music subscription <laughs> each, each month. It's endless. It's kind of ruined the music industry. Yeah. But as a music consumer, which I, which at my core I am. Yeah. And the fact that I'm a music maker is really based on me being a music fan and a consumer to begin with. So yeah, so I yeah, like the relate. whole streaming and uh, whole thing has ruined the music yeah. industry as we know it. But yeah. as a consumer, I'm just loving it. Me so too. Like, me uh, too. Like anything you sort of stumble across or somebody recommends, you just go, ooh, do, do, do. Yeah. And then, then five seconds later, you're listening to it and you're That's going, right. yeah, you're right. This is good. Also, have you tried in a record store? If you're in a store and you want to buy like a vinyl record or something special, mm. you can just listen to it. Well, that's always Spotify. been the case. And there's, then, yeah, there's always I know, been the booths that you could go to. You don't have to talk to anyone when you do it now. Back in the old days, you'd go into a record store and there'd be a section with little booths and headphones. That's right. That you would, uh, and they would actually. They wouldn't let you pl- take the record. They'd put it on and it'll, it'll come up in booth four. That's right. And, uh, I remember that. Yeah. I actually had, when I was in high school, I didn't really have enough money to buy many records. But um, John Spencer had just put out that Orange album that guest starred Beck. And I was a massive Beck fanatic in, you know, 1995 or something. It's a great record, that one. Yeah. And uh, I used to just go in and listen to the Flavor song that had Beck guest starring on it. Um, and I'd used to, you know, I'd go in one week and go, can I please listen to this record? And then the next week, try and get a different clerk so they didn't <laughs> remember me. So, so <laughs> really just listen good. to that week song. by week, you'd, five, you'd listen please. to this album yeah. bit by bit. Yeah. Oh my God, what a cheapskate. <laughs> and then, you know, I probably only bought it when I was like 18 or something when I had money to do it. But before that, you just go into HMV and listen to it. Yeah, well. <laughs> Times have changed. <laughs> Whatever it takes. <laughs> so tell me about the show. Which is um, is it? A, it's a monthly performance that you've been doing. That's yeah. Well, we, we we put the first one out. I'm not sure when, but uh, it was two weeks later. We put out episode two. But but now we we thought we could we could commit to one a month. Yeah. And maybe sometimes two a month, but yeah. but at least one a month. And the the premise of it is you're going to get people in to sing with, to play with. People who inspire you. Well, the premise, the premise of it was, well, when our industry was, you know, 
shut down when, and yeah. <laughs> when all activity and work and and uh, uh, an ability to create and uh, perform evaporated i think for 24 hours everyone just went oh, oh no and then we all woke up going online that's right <laughs> that's right we can go online <laughs> and then everyone scrambled to their phones yeah. and their computers and started doing th- those sorts of gigs but on our on the property that we uh, we live on my partner christina who is creative i'm creative you know musically yeah, and, and and creative in the arts she's creative with tangible things like she recycles buildings. Everything on our property, apart from the, the original old house, which was there when we came, it's been, you know, either dragged there whole as bolus and, <laughs> and sort of put in, you know, you know rebuilt and re- put together or it's all recycled Amazing. materials. And, uh, she apart has from, the vision. Yeah, she, look, she's, you know, obsessively creative, you know, with creating real things you know like and and the hall where we shoot the show is one of those and it was i guess you know her vision was, it was a space a space that we could um it's got a stage and it's got a dance floor it's got a pa it's got lights it's, amazing it's got a big space and smoke lots machines of, lots of couches a big fireplace yeah. so i guess originally it was a place that we could have parties mm. and entertain without putting a whole bunch of people you know, in the house that we live in, you know, like, <laughs> it was easy to clean up. And, uh, uh, at, um, but then when this all happened, we realized we've got the infrastructure to do something a bit better than singing in front of a phone. And, um, yeah. yeah. And, um, I think we felt a responsibility to do it, you know, because not only did we have the infrastructure, but we had musicians that were very close at hand and we, and pretty much coincidentally everybody that lived on the property or near the property uh, was had cameras you know wonderful and and had a bit of experience with sort of video making and editing and and filming so it was an it just seemed to be you know, like a logical imperative that we do this and also i guess in the beginning it was we had a sense of uh, desperation like to just to do something yeah we came together uh, like oh let's just make something you know uh, just i think the feeling was just to do something so that we didn't feel so helpless and yes and um but also i think we felt the responsibility to connect with people and um and i think there was a real need to do that and uh and so yeah uh Christina was the one that really pushed. Well, she's still pushing. Yeah, <laughs> that's great. She's you the need one someone like that. She's the one that. Yeah. I guess I'm. I'm. I'm the creative director. I kind of choose. I've designed all the shots and everything, but she's basically created the space that we could do it. And um, I mean, I choose the artists and the music and everything. And actually, I, I'm oversee every single aspect of it. Yeah. Not only of the the creation of it. Even there's a lot of people working with us but i have to be with all of those people not only in the creation of the show but the promotion of the show sure and that's you're the like, show runner it's you <laughs> it's been great it's but jesus christ it's doing my head in <laughs> give me that's give me great. this please um please give me the simplicity of 
going to a room and playing music to yeah. people that are yeah. actually there. Yeah, um, it's tricky, isn't it? But I, I feel like things like this, like you said, are so important at the moment. Um, it's it's important to feel connected with community and your community is like the wider music community, not only your community, you know, where you live. Mm. Um, and I think it's so special that you're doing it and good on you for getting it together. Well, thank you. But see, the history of the show is, as I said, we just almost in a panic kind of started doing it. Yeah. And uh, took us a few weeks to figure out how to do it. There was a few sort of um, trial shoots yeah. where, where we figured out our roles and you know, how, what not to do. And what's, what's, what's a do not do? Well, <laughs> the, well, the hardest thing for me is the host interview Oh really? Aspect. Yeah, Why it's, it's not a natural. It's my, not my natural game. <laughs> um, sure, I can answer. <laughs> I can I can answer questions, but thinking up interesting things to ask. <laughs> Originally, we uh, had the music part of the show there, and then we had a few chairs set up elsewhere, which was like the interview yeah. section. It was kind of set up like Parkinson or something. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, like, Two chairs, you know, and a little table in between where we could do these in-depth interviews. And, yeah, it was just like – it was just – It was too much. Yeah, Yeah. it it just didn't work. And so we kind of, through trial and error, figured that it was more natural for everybody if I interview – or not even interview, just talk to the guest artist in the context of about to play – we were about to play a song together. Yeah. So it's like an intro to – to our um, collaboration, and, and that's a lot more natural. And yeah, but still, it's it's a it's a. I take my hat off to to <laughs> to, to you and all the other hosts and interviewers that, uh, that I've worked with over the years. It's I, I get it now. It's, Haven't it's, you it's done some gig. hosting before? Haven't you done like some Rockwiz hosting and I did. stuff like and that? that was a f- How was that? Well, that was a bit of fun, but um, but I just had one shot at it. I'm right. sure. And it's like anything you like, like with the rock was thing. Uh, yeah, I was just. Do you want to come? Julia's got to go away. Do you want to <laughs> go and come and host an episode? And I'm not the type of guy that, that says, "Oh, I couldn't do that." Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll go. Yeah, sure. I'll give it a go. How bad could it be? <laughs> so, but um, yeah, I would have liked to have a couple more goes at sure. it. Too. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it wasn't a disaster. Disaster, but. Um, the master at this sort of thing is, or well, Julia is fantastic. She is. But Brian Nankervis. Yeah. When you go out on tour with Rockwiz, there's the Rockwiz, you know, live show. Before they, before the show even starts, Brian has to select the various audience members that yeah, contestants. come to come mm. on onto the show, onto the stage. And that's a process that takes about 90 minutes. So he's talking <laughs> and, and quizzing you know, like a crowd of a couple thousand people, you know, more you know, sometimes. And he is working them mm. for 90 minutes, even before the show starts. It is freaking incredible, you know, yeah. the, the energy level and the sort of the connectedness on, and the being really, you know, smart and quick and, you know, and, but also making people feel good yeah and uh i'm just absolutely in awe of him yeah in in that regard yeah i don't know if i could do that either what i've learned from interviewing people is that most people have a story that they want to tell you know normally that'll come out pretty easily but um 
but yeah, in front of a crowd, fuck that. I'd be <laughs> terrified. But yeah, he, he just creates this atmosphere where people are happy to, yeah. con- you know, to, to do anything sure. and get on board and yeah. open up and say stuff. And, yeah. and um, yeah, he, he, he creates this atmosphere where it's, you know, really fun. <laughs> well, what about stage banter for you? Do, that comes pretty naturally, doesn't it? I've seen sometimes, you do some, some Sometimes. Chats. Sometimes. You know, I've over the years I've thought um, I've thought okay, well that you know I've tried to have little intros to my songs, which I have been kind of philosophically against. It's you know like because it's like explaining a joke before yes. you tell it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like, <laughs> like, yeah. like this song's about this and this and this and this yeah. and this and this. Here we go. Yeah. Yeah, and you kind of well, yeah, we kind of got it, and you before you even, <laughs> before you even played it. So it's kind of, and I, and I'm not really the the type that goes, yeah, I wrote this song in a hotel room in Boston in '85, uh, and you know. <laughs> but people kind of want to hear that stuff, don't you think? Yeah, but like, uh, yeah, it's again, again, <laughs> yeah. uh, it's not my natural game. Yeah, yeah. But sometimes I just pretty much can't prepare anything, yeah. and I can't repeat it. Uh, if something works, yeah, most performers go, hmm, put that in your back pocket. Yeah. But I feel such a faker Rooney. Like if I've ever if I ever use well, if the situation comes up again, I might have something loaded. Yeah. But I I, I generally like a little bit of interaction and, and even a little bit of a heckle. Yeah. Because at least there's somebody you can connect with and 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 there's some banter and some yeah. back and forth. Um, a little bit of a heckle, by the way. <laughs> I was <laughs> going to say. <laughs> I feel like people would be terrified to heckle you. <laughs> well, a lot of people. <laughs> let's not go. Let's not go into that. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, um, yeah. I, I, I'm happy to. If again, also, I've got to be in the mood. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, sometimes it's just more appropriate to just, yeah, you know, say, yeah, look who I've got here, and this. I don't even like naming the song I'm about to play. Wow. <laughs> Actually, I, that reminds me. I once went to see a band. I can't even remember who it was. And they, they would just um, say, you know, this song's about a lightning storm. It's called Lightning Storm. <laughs> or like, this song's about, you know, fucking whatever. You know, this song's about trees. It's called Trees. <laughs> And then for ages after that, I remember I was with Kwan um, when we were watching the band and after that, Regurgitator were always like, this song's about licking assholes. It's called, I will lick your asshole. <laughs> so maybe you could adopt that next time. Yep. <laughs> just, just the one word I, that the song's actually named. I'll, yeah, I'll borrow that. <laughs> so what about, do you, can you actually see a post-COVID touring? Can you see what that looks like? Well, I've well, weirdly enough, I've got a, a handful of gigs coming up. I'm playing. How's this for irony? Um, Home of the Arts mm. on the Gold Coast. <laughs> I think I have actually played there. Yeah, it's like some yeah, arts a, and cultural centre. Yeah. And anyway, we're so playing like one a theatre. Yeah, playing mm. one, the the theatre there. But I, which I'm not sure how, what's the normal capacity might be yeah. 500, but there's a 100. Oh, okay. Basically, all these gigs that I've, I've got that gig, a uh, couple at um, Lazotte's in, in a couple of weeks. That's in Newcastle. Mm-hmm. And they're all 100 capacity. I guess okay. that's the illegal yeah. limit these days. No? And then um, Makita Markets. Um, 
again on the Gold Coast. Sorry, I'll correct myself. It's Miami Makita. The okay. Miami Makita. It's like a, it's like a fancy name for a market. Okay, great. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds it's, lovely. It's like an exotic name for a market. Great. Uh, Makita. <laughs> I think. <laughs> but um, that's in early August. It's about a month away. But, yeah. Um, so things might change a bit so, before then. So, yeah. Um, what does is, what is a gig look like there? I'm, I'm yeah, really... No idea. I'm really curious, uh, but very, uh, <laughs> very keen to do it. Yeah. Um, you feeling the ache to get in front of people oh, absolutely. and do your thing. As I said, it's yeah. been great to do the show, but... Um, oh, yeah. Give me the simplicity of yeah, and, <laughs> not having oh, to run a show. <laughs> well, just you turn up and you play, yeah. and people are really there, and um, yeah. yeah, it's something that I didn't take for granted because it was really as 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 times have changed, and you know, pretty much you can't make music, you can't make a living out of selling music. Yeah, you've actually got to go out, go, go out to the people. It, you've, you've got to travel. You've got to get on the road. You've got yeah. to be there. And now that that is compromised, yeah. So, yeah. so I feel, my God, I feel like the most, I feel like the luckiest musician in the in the country. I'm, um, I don't know whether anyone else is uh, getting gigs, but I've got a, yeah, <laughs> that's about great. a half a dozen. That's and, uh, awesome. Are you writing at the moment? Are you doing any writing at home, or is it does it feel strange at the moment? I've done a lot of recording, but not songwriting. I've I've been making a lot of almost ambient music great um, using what kind of, well anything um i use basically i've got a laptop with a garage band program and pretty much um, you can take that anywhere but i have mm. a little little one room studio office thing that uh, that we built last year it's ah, uh, i love the place i love it. so uh, a lot of the music has been very sort of almost meditative and long sort of drone sort of pieces with synthesizers and guitar. So very sort of long, subtle, almost sort of soundtrack great. stuff. That sounds but, um, great. The playlist that I started collecting them under is called A Dark Calm, mm-hmm. which is, I guess, sort of, it's the flavor of all the, all the music that I'm putting out. It's kind of, it's calm, but there's a, and it's sort of peaceful in one way and meditative, but it's also sort of got an underlying tension to yeah. it, so it kind of expresses expresses a need to stay calm, but also it's also expressing an awareness <laughs> that things aren't right. Yes. So um, I've just been making that music for my own personal yeah. uh, mental health, really. Yeah. Because I'll I'll go down and I'll smoke a joint and <laughs> and I'll be there for hours. I'll I'll take care of the kids in the morning. Oh, by the way, that was another thing homeschooling oh yeah i was gonna ask you about that how did that go um it was really it was great when i was setting the curriculum <laughs> <laughs> what's the curriculum according to you well i have three children living at home i have a 16 year old daughter a nine-year-old son and a six-year-old son and so there's various different um levels of uh, yeah. uh, of um of their education but um we would all get together School was from 11 a.m. till 1 p.m. And we would all sit at the table. We would go, we'd start with Roy and uh, do a couple of his readers, you know, those little, you know, like first and second grade, you know, reading, reader books. But also, we, so like the other two children were kind of 
hearing and interacting with him. So it was a, it was a nice sort of shared, you know, there was Edie, my 16-year-old daughter, could help. And, and uh, I actually remembered how to do long division, you know. Oh, yeah. Good one. Good for you. <laughs> I hadn't done that in about 30 years. <laughs> It's pretty easy once you remember how to do it. I know, it's just the whole carry, the, you know. Yeah. The, <laughs> but, uh, and also with her, um, she has been studying Shakespeare, which I never did uh, in school. So, and I'm absolutely loving um, just talking to her about yeah. all that and like, you know. So you're getting a little bit out of the homeschooling for yourself, for your own I inspiration am. as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, because I have to say my education, even though it was probably expensive, well, not really expensive, it was probably it was, it was more expensive than my brothers and sisters. I, I went to a, a Catholic boys' school mm-hmm. in Brisbane called uh, Nudgy College well, for the last three years. And uh, pretty much it was uh, sport and um, math. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> there was no music. Oh, there was wow. no arts program. There was an arts, you could, but but it was like only the freaks <laughs> did, yeah. that, did that, and I was happy to be one of those. But uh, well, you talk a little bit in in your book about feeling like you were a bit of an outsider in high school, and you know, getting to meet other outsiders was was really exciting outside of school. Do you still feel that way? Do you still feel a kinship with people that you maybe think, well, that might have been an outsider or that person might be an outsider? Well, I, I'm really big on acceptance, actually. Yeah. I was, I guess it's through during school I did choose, I actually put myself on the periphery of, of various um, peer groups. I was always sort of either being left out or completely ostracised mm. or... or begrudgingly invited yeah <laughs> but also I think I was sort of a difficult kid anyway I sort of I wasn't really on board with what everyone else was excited by like BMX bikes or like <laughs> like I'd be doggedly sort of no my my normal push is good enough for me sure. you know like I don't I don't have to get all that bullshit and yeah you know. and so I'd be sort of deliberately putting myself you know on the periphery of some all those things and therefore sort of Seen as a bit of a dickhead. <laughs> <laughs> Do you feel like that and, carried on? Did that carry on? Yeah, absolutely. On it, yeah. It, it, uh, it actually carried on. It followed me into my workplace. You know, when I started working, mm. uh, I could never really fit into the workplace. <laughs> and then um, also until I got to Sydney, where I met a bunch of people that basically it was it was rock bands, um, the Johnnies and the Scientists became. Um, like my big brothers, I was I was like seventeen, and they were all like in their mid twenty five, maybe twenty five, twenty six, mm. and but they accepted me, and uh, I flourished, you know, like as a as a person, you know, like I finally wasn't being ostracised or scorned or or I mean, growing up, up in Brisbane, if you were a little bit different, walking down the street, people would just yell at you, you yeah. know, or, or spit at you from cars, and so. Uh, I'd become quite used to that, but but going going and uh, moving to Sydney in '82 and and just meeting people that accepted me and uh, actually valued my you know my input and what I was doing and uh, mm. 
I still love all those people for yeah. that. For that, and well, a lot of them ended up being your your long term yeah. collaborators, right? Yeah. Well, um, so Bor- nice. Boris and Kim, uh, well, my long term collaborators that are still alive. Um, yeah, working with Boris and Kim uh, uh, after all these years, you know, on the Beasts album that, which was a tribute to Spencer and Brian, um, yeah. was. Look, it was it was bittersweet. You know, I mean, it was saying goodbye to Brian and Spencer, but also rekindling uh, a really old friendship. You know, with uh, Boris and Kim it was. Uh, That's lovely. It, it must really have been great. really emotional. It was. Uh, it was. Um, it, that was a, a situation that kind of one thing led to another. As you know, uh, whenever anything happens that we think we can um, help with uh, the musical community always come together and put on a fundraiser or a benefit. Or, yeah. And um, whenever someone's sick, you know, the, the first thing, oh, let's put on a benefit. And, yes. And so there was one for Brian Hooper who had cancer. And, yeah. And, but he was determined to play at his own benefit and um, wanted the Beasts of Bourbon to play at it. And it ended up being um, Brian's... He died uh, a week after. Yeah, but, I remember that. But he was so f- focused. He kept himself, you know, alive and well enough to do that. And it was his goal, really. And it was such a triumph, you know, that for him to achieve that. And it was such a powerful and inspirational, you know, thing to be involved with. That you know, when he did that, we we all turned. You know, that night we said, "Oh, what are we?" Well, let's make an album. Yeah. You know, let's get into the studio. And, yeah. And he was up for it, but obviously he, he passed away a week later. So the next thing was, the next imperative was to get Spencer recorded one last time. Yeah. And we did that and I, he contributed a track called At the Hospital, which was very, you know, <laughs> very poignant. Mm. It's a it's a very darkly comic song, so it's 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 addressing the situation, but sort of it has a, there's an irreverence to it, and and uh, so once he offered that up, as, and that became the sort of the, the the centerpiece of the album, and then we realised we had to make the rest of the album almost autobiographical. Yeah. It had to be about what was happening, and and also it had to be about the band itself and there's no getting away from the fact that you know spencer and brian you know, lived rock and roll lifestyles and, and it and the beast of bourbon particularly we were a band that was very much um victims of its own mythology yeah you know um, so it was a it was a chance to sort of have have a look at ourselves and look at the consequences of yeah. you know the lifestyle and the the type of music and the lifestyle that we put out it it uh, it does have consequences of course <laughs> you, yeah so do you um, think that you that you owe your longevity to maybe not going as hard absolutely as um i lack the commitment that <laughs> that heroin <laughs> i lack the commitment to be <laughs> to be a proper junkie or yeah. a proper alcoholic or sure. a, or a proper cocaine addict or whatever i get to well, yeah, I don't have the constitution to um, to keep going. Yeah, well, I mean, that's. Uh, all, I mean, thank God. And it also, know. it's uh, also you know, it's like the smorgasbord. You know, it's, it's like the buffet. Yeah. You know, 
what, why are you getting stuck into the mashed potatoes? You know, there's, there's, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's plenty of other stuff over here. You know? <laughs> the green beans are delicious. Yeah, you know, like, try some of this. You know, it's like, get your head out of the mashed potato for a little yeah. while. <laughs> I actually, I find it really interesting that you know you you were surrounded by these really really intense moments of like drug addiction from your bandmates and when I've heard you talk about it it's kind of it's kind of like it was just normal like that person you let them do their own thing they let you do that your own thing and it's just that that is the way that it was when I think about it I, I feel like I would be scared or I you know I would oh, it was push more, it's away more, it's more annoying um because with heroin addicts they they seem they seem to think it's imperative that they lie. That's yeah. the weird thing. Like, like even though I know, I know you've just gone and taken heroin. Yeah. I can see you're nodding off. No, I'm not. Not. Why are you lying? To yeah. You don't have to lie to me. I'm not your mother or your girlfriend or a cop. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, I'm not. Yeah, it's just you know that's that's sort of <laughs> that aspect sort of you know really was kind of annoying. Yeah, and, um, more the, annoying than scary for you, maybe. Yeah, just the the inherent dishonesty that it has, seems to have to go with it. How do you see the the legacy of Brian and Spencer? You know, now that they're no longer here. Well, with Spencer, um, I always knew that he was very supportive of other young acts, especially living in Melbourne. He would get out a lot and he, and he saw a lot of bands. And the bands that he liked, he always put out a, a helping hand. And like I knew he did that, but I didn't know what, to what extent he did it until he died. And like the amount of people that came out and said, Spencer, help me with this. Spen-, you mm. know, like, and it was just hundreds of pe- you know, people like, that had real you know, significant stories of support. You know, if, if not not if not only he would produce their album, or ranging from doing that, or just just being sort of a fan and and you know, like, and an advisor, mm. um, he was everywhere. I mean, apart from his, own, his body of work, which is great, enormous. It's, yeah. it's a really great body of work, especially his solo stuff. I think he got better and better as he went along. It's his connection with the the, the musical community that yeah. um, I think is is his real legacy yeah and i mean even the stories that you told um in interviews and and your book as well you you talk you're always talking about like spencer going i'm going to go play on this record or i'm just going to go do some guitar for that person or you know i feel like he was always looking for something to do someone to to play with if you do love this stuff you 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 tend to you know just do stuff yeah and connect with people because you love it well, let's talk more about your um, your compulsion to write. <laughs> I am. Um, I'll just lie on the couch. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I love that you you say that music is still a mystery to you. I feel the same way. Hmm. Like when I play, chords are sometimes a surprise to me. Like I put my <laughs> hand somewhere and I go, oh, "That's great! I didn't know that that was going to happen." <laughs> or I'll, or I'll hear a song and go, "Wow, that what a fantastic song!" Yeah, and then I'll oh, it's in C G. Oh, it's a C D G. It's the classic C D G. All right, <laughs> but that's right. But that, but that's, how that's, they delivered it. Well, exactly. Yeah, that's that's the thing about um, rock and roll, and well, actually all the all the classic twentieth century sort of musical 
art forms, rock and roll, blues, country, you know, it's a sim- very simple formula. Mm. But it depends on what you've what you put into that formula and it's really about it's a hundred different artists can take those three chords a hundred different ways yeah and it's really about you putting your own personality through the there and and yeah it it's it's it is mysterious to me that how far-reaching and flexible that very simple formula is yeah and and, uh, and yeah it even when you do you know look at the Look at the nuts and bolts of a song, and yeah, you know, it's still a mystery. You know, yeah. like you, you can still like, wow, you know, yeah. like, and it you know it can evoke those emotions when you play just a little bit like that, or a little bit like that, or yeah, it's um, it's a mystery, and I think that's what makes it fun, right? Yeah. Is that what makes it fun for you? Oh, absolutely. And sometimes in my long journey through this career, I've thought, yeah. Big deal, you know. I'm, I'm a musician. Whoop de doo, you know. Like, <laughs> I haven't built a house, or you know, or I, haven't, yeah. I haven't given birth to, a, you know, <laughs> you know. It's nothing really special, but but then I then I then I hear some people do it, and I go, wow. I now I know, now I, now I know I do have something, right? Oh, you mean like someone <laughs> not every, Well, <laughs> well, not everyone can do it, <laughs> and it, and it, or or some people. Or sometimes I, yeah, I hear a, a friend just singing, and they're not a singer, and that's so off key. Oh yeah. And, and this, and, and then I sort of realize, wow, I guess it is something. <laughs> what we have the ability to actually, yeah, yeah, hold a tune. Yeah, I mean, I I forget that too. But I love that you say that you like adding words and and melody to already existing chords. Is that your favourite way to write? It's still? probably the easiest way mm. because somebody else will have the uh, the feel and and the the structure of a piece of music, and and I can just get the raw emotional input from what they've you know can suggest things to me. You know, on emotional level, or also the words, I, I, also the the phrasing of their playing will suggest words sometimes. Yeah, I guess it's the quickest way yes. that I can get a, re, a something really quite good. You know, is if you know I have a collaborator and I and they have a really sort of basic you know like idea, but it has some feel and some direction, or and it has some emotional content. And yeah, and I can can feel that, and then you know, like, and answer that, and and put something to it, and then then together we sort of we take it somewhere else, or, mm. or we flesh it out and mm. um, and turn it into something that's presentable. I find it fascinating that um, you have a lot of criticism about previous albums. I mean, you have a lot of like, I don't, I hate the the gated snare on this or I hate the reverb on this album or this album I can't listen to. And then other albums, mm. you know, some of your text, Don and Charlie albums, you I feel like you're, you're much kinder to yourself about those recordings. That was probably just how I felt at the time because <laughs> <laughs> how I feel about different recordings can change. I don't really truly get a proper perspective on anything that I've done until years later because apart from that that process that I just described mm. where you 
where you're right at the sort of the seed of the idea and you're you're nurturing it to make it grow and oh yeah and you're excited by that and but once you sort of done all the work and then recorded it and mm. mixed it and played it you are kind of like i don't i don't know how i feel about this anymore yeah. you know like you sort of you know you you've, you've, yeah. you've worked it you know to the bone kind of thing yeah. as far as your enjoyment of it goes so you kind of got to step away from it i think for about 10 years yeah. and then <laughs> and then you, like then you can appraise it properly because mm-hmm. you're not sort of tied up with the whole sort of you know, how much effort and you put into it and sort of you've listened to it a hundred times yeah. and tweaked this and that and you have a level-headed hindsight to yeah. be able to actually and a lot of times i will go wow that's not bad <laughs> <laughs> did i do that wow. yeah have the same so feeling. That, that's a that's a lovely feeling but but i think a healthy amount of self-criticism yeah is very good for the music i agree um that's why also collaborating is good for you know good for me because i can you know heap all the praise on my collaborator and sort of go yeah this is good this is good you know yeah and uh yeah rather than you know sort of trying to convince myself you know yes it is good (laughs) keep going greg keep going But can we talk about heroes? You obviously, um, you, you've talked a lot about Iggy Pop over the years um, and you got to do a bunch of tours with him and, you know, become buddies and stuff. Have you had a chance to work with anyone that you feel that intimidation from that, you know, if they're a dick, it might ruin my childhood or it might ruin my life? Well, to tell you the truth, I mean, they're, they're not huge artists, in the, but I've known Matt Walker and I've known Jez Mead for a long time. And I've actually been in awe of both of them. So much so that I've always wanted to work with both of them. Mm. But like a lot of a lot of my past collaborators, I knew where I fit. You know, like you know, like they were guitar players and I am the vocalist and the melody creator. But like with Matt Walker, he can do it all by himself. Yeah. He's a total self-contained unit. So is Jez Mead. But I'm working uh, lately I've been working with well, I've been working with Matt for the last couple of years, mm. but now I can't get Matt out of um, out of Victoria. But yeah. um, now I'm working with Jez Mead, who is also a brilliant songwriter in his own right and a totally self-contained unit who has no need of me really <laughs> to <laughs> to create great art. Mm. And so I've I feel absolutely honoured, you know, to to be working with those you know, two. And um, but as far as um, big stars um i can't think of anybody that has had me (laughs) (laughs) well i mean more like people who um have you ever been intimidated in within a collaboration i've been intimidated by just meeting people that i've admired the work for um and i think i've always yeah ended up saying something weird and awkward (laughs) because of it (laughs) That's. I mean, I. Do, I think that's just natural. Everybody yeah. does that. Yeah, it's hard but you don't get cool. forgiven. If you're if you're also a sort of performing artist, you don't get forgiven so easy. <laughs> and you don't. You're not supposed to be a fan. Sure. You know, you're not supposed to be a nervous, weird fan that says something inappropriate. <laughs> <laughs> you're supposed to be cool. <laughs> but I uh, like but, it when people aren't cool. Yeah. Well, you'll love me. <laughs> 
Do you have someone that you can't listen to their music now because you said something weird to them? Do you? Yes or no? Yes, I do. <laughs> yeah. That's a drag. I do as well. I'll tell you No, after. they were rude to me. Really, oh, really. no. Yeah. Me too. Yeah. Let's share this off mic later. <laughs> I can't listen to their music anymore yeah, and it's a real shame. Monumentally, sort of really vindictively rude to me. Me and too. Like... like, like why are you putting a lot of effort into this? I know. Well, mine completely um, pretended I didn't exist when I was talking to them. Yeah. Yeah. Mm, which yeah. was pretty mean. And I was saying really nice <laughs> Let's things. Let's get this interview over with so we can share this. <laughs> yeah. I'm looking forward to your story. <laughs> um, going back to, you know, being being not a, tra- a classically trained musician. Um, you were saying you're a fan of lots of different kind of music, but do you feel like classically trained musicians make boring music? Or can <laughs> they make exciting music for you? I think Warren Ellis is classically trained. Oh, yeah. And he's... Incredible. He's just, you know, as far as innovation and yeah. sort of experimentation, he's off the board. You know, he's not... I think... Uh, he can actually play, and he he understands music on yeah. every possible level. You can you yeah. can you, you can use on an emotional level, on a on a nuts and bolts construction level, on on yeah, and everything in between. Yeah, um, that's so actually a great example. Yeah, I don't think it has to. You know, you, you a lot of people that are classically trained kind of end up just in that kind of orchestra world. Mm. And um, when you're in an orchestra, I've, I've worked with a couple of orchestras <laughs> in my time, and uh, and uh, they, it's incredible how so many people can get together and and and, and make beautiful music. But mm. they kind of approach it like technicians, almost like they're waiting for their bit. And they're just they're reading everything off the page, and mm. and. It's actually similar to my mother. Really? <laughs> she she can't play music. She can play the piano and the organ if she's looking at the sheet music. Oh wow! She can't do. She can't make a single sound if she has to. That's so. Just make it up or or remember a tune. Yeah. You know, like, so like, it, she has to be. It's like a like know, a machine. She has to be reading it off the page yeah. in order for her fingers to do the work. That's so fascinating. Mm. And I feel like you kind of went the opposite way then. You really felt music. Luckily, I I fell into the post-punk scene where yeah. musical proficiency wasn't <laughs> a, really a necessity. Yeah. It was more about um, giving it a crack. Yeah. Giving it, giving it a go and having being... <laughs> Being stupidly fearless. Yeah. Well, yeah, you say something about not not playing a chord for the first 10 years of your career or something. I love that. Well, yeah, I guess I was a, a primarily a singer. So yeah. I, and actually a lot of the early things that I wrote were sort of single note kind of things. Yeah. So, uh, but, yeah. But, yeah, once I've discovered chords. Oh. <laughs> what? Did you ever have lessons? Yeah, I had two or three. Yeah, um, I got given an acoustic guitar for Christmas, nineteen seventy-seven or seventy-eight or something, and um, yeah, there was no music at school, but there were after-school courses and lessons. There were guitar lessons at night at school. Mm-hmm. Now that, like, 
to come back to school for, for anything. You really have is, to have wanted to do it. Exactly. Yeah. But this guy, this guy, he was, have you ever seen, do you remember the Poltergeist movies? Yes. Do you remember the old man? Yeah. The creepy old man? Yeah. Remember that? Imagine that guy giving you guitar lessons. <laughs> he had, he was tall, really gaunt, skinny, grey with sort Ooh. of weird eyes. And, um, I love that you're curling your fingers at the moment like a vampire. But the thing, is, yeah, that's the most thing about. It. He had these bulbous knuckles. Oh wow! Like so, and like you're forced to look at his. You're like, <laughs> look at my hands. This is how you do a D chord. So you 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 know, you're looking at the strings. You're like, oh my God, look at those knuckles. <laughs> like, like, like each you can't concentrate. They were horrific. It was horrific. <laughs> But having said that, if he was a good teacher, if he if he had if he displayed any sense of the enjoyment of playing music, I may have gotten something from him. Right. But he basically sucked the life oh, out no. of everything. It was it was um, pointless. Yeah, it, right. It was uh, one, yeah, yeah. So I had about three lessons, and, um, and you were like, forget and, it, knuckles. <laughs> <laughs> and then. Um, I think I gave. The, I didn't play the guitar for for a few oh. years, and then, then when I was about fifteen, I bought an electric guitar, and they're great because they make a lot of noise, and you can even just go, and that yeah. sounds awesome. Vibrations. <laughs> you don't even have to play chords. And, <laughs> yeah. You know, and, <laughs> yeah. But, right. That changed everything. Then. But uh, yeah, um, that's that's the extent of my <laughs> musical training. You don't need it. I mean. You've made a career of making fantastic albums um, with the training you have. So, you know, amazing. Well, I haven't even... Um, well, occasionally, uh, I, I I guess I have been shown how to play a chord mm. you know, by my, <laughs> by my, um, my band, bandmates. And, yeah, um, this is a G. Do I have to put my finger there? <laughs> Oh, you can just use the two fingers if you want. Yeah, I have it. Look, I'm going to ask you my very last question, mm. which is the question that oh I ask God. everyone. Oh, that's right. I forgot can, about this. <laughs> what is your strangest show experience? Well, whether you're on stage or in general life, yeah. you never want to hear the words, your dick is hanging out. <laughs> And, um, yeah, that, that happened to me. Um, <laughs> it was um, Tex, Don and Charlie tour in 2005. And uh, we were playing in, New, in Newcastle. I had just done some washing the night before at a ho- in a hotel room. And I, I washed all my clothes, but I had a sort of a tattered old pair of jeans that was sort of frayed a bit in various places. <laughs> and uh, anyway, I just, I, I'm so, I'm a bit um, laxadaisal with my underpant wear, <laughs> <laughs> especially on the road. <laughs> um, anyway, I had, I just chucked some clothes on backstage, that freshly washed clothes from the night before. Mm-hmm. Ooh. Mm. And got out there on, uh, on stage. The first couple of songs I was standing up and then the next song I was sitting down on a stool. 
And um, with, after this, with guitar, huh? Withholding guitar, holding or, guitar. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, after the third song, I, I noticed someone making their way through the crowd, <laughs> and oh, they're coming right up to the stage. And he leaned up to me, and I leant down to him, and he said, "Your dick's hanging out." <laughs> And then I looked down to where, the, near my crotch, there used to be a frayed section. Right. After the vigorous wash and dry that I gave my clothes the night before, it was now a gaping hole. Oh, no. And, uh, oh, there you are. <laughs> and then I looked up to the 400 other people that were in a room and they all went, mm, yep. Just nodding. <laughs> And uh, it was like, you've seen those Hitchcock movies where the moment of realisation, where they saw us, it's like a crash zoom. Oh, yeah, yeah. Where sort of yeah. zoom, you know, like the background <laughs> washes away and shoop. It was like one of those <laughs> moments, like when you realise, oh, my fucking God. 400 and, people have seen. <laughs> and <laughs> the, weird, the weird thing about it also is that, a f- couple of songs before, I have a sort of inner dialogue. Yeah, my, I speak to myself in my head, and my inner dialogue was saying, "Your dick feels weird." <laughs> <laughs> and the other inner, other voice says, said, "Shut up, get on." Dick doesn't know, feel sh- weird. It's sh- fine. Sh- shut up. Stop thinking about your dick. <laughs> get, get on with it. <laughs> you're you're on stage. You're thinking about your dick, Jesus. <laughs> Give it a break. <laughs> Never deny the inner voice. <laughs> and I have to say, um, unlike um, the mythology of uh, rock musicians, yeah, I wasn't excited. You know, it was sure. <laughs> far from it. <laughs> actually, actually, I mean, it probably would have been worse if you had been. I feel like that would have been oh, yeah. in the papers. <laughs> still, still, but if I'd have known that I was going to present myself, I would have sort of maybe, you know, you know shaken it about Fluffed a bit it. or something, <laughs> fluffed it up a bit. <laughs> but no, it was just there. Yeah. Just lying just... <laughs> right, right now you're lying on your side, pretending to be a, pe- a flaccid penis. Resting on my thigh. Thanks for that. Well, did I tell you that someone's going to draw this story? (laughs) (laughs) Good luck. (laughs) Tex, thank you so much for being on my podcast. It was such a nice chat and I wish you all the best with the show. I think it's really important. I think you're doing a great thing and I hope everybody joins you on those shows. It's been a pleasure. Uh, Thank you so much. (laughs) 